Does manual treasury management and operations have your crypto business stuck in the slow lane? Scale up and speed ahead with Fireblocks, the number one platform for crypto operations and trading pros that makes custody, settlement, and rebalancing quick and easy. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and prime services to manage all of their crypto assets in one place. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. Eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust, Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. And joining me on the other side of the mic with his plushie in hand, there it is, donning his McDonald's cap, unsurprisingly, is my very good friend and our guest for today, Darren Lau, a prolific writer and educator in the space vis-a-vis The Daily Ape. I'm sure you're, you're familiar with it if you've been in the space for a while and a venture capital investor in his own right. Darren, you came from Spartan Group. You kind of went off and have done your own thing. How's life? How's life treating you? Hey, man. Life's been pretty good. Just been chilling. Uh, just got back from traveling like two months. was in Europe for a bit. And like just meeting with people. Uh, was there for like the Dolan Lisbon conference as well. as so just like NFT NYC, then just travel on. Yeah, life's been pretty chill so far. Mostly just taking a bit of a break from the markets a bit, just ca- catching up on like secondary markets, researching and just like catching up on all the reading. There's so much stuff to read every day, so just catching up on that. I know. It's it's really difficult to kind of keep up to date with what's going on in this market, even as someone whose job it is to write about it. That's, that's my experience. I want to do something a bit unusual. Uh, we've been having guests come on the show um, from different verticals. We had a trader on. We had an executive from Jump, the market-making firm, and now we have a venture capitalist to to get a sense not just of what you're noticing out there in the market, but how does the job work and how does it work for different types of assets, right? When you're making a bet in NFTs, it's probably different from when you're trying to make a token bet. So walk us through, like, what does your day-to-day look like? Are you sourcing deals are you reading what's the day-to-day yes. of a crypto venture investor yeah i'm uh, happy to go through that so like for me my, my day-to-day since like given that i also run the daily which is a telegram channel where i post like daily news updates so like my mornings usually consist of me going through that going through twitter looking for what to include in the post for the day as well as going through my emails going through some of the newsletters going through some of the correspondence whatever to like re- respond to as well as going through telegram groups so i have a few Telegram groups where I'm active in just with some some friends where we share share all of us so seeing any updates from there. And then that's usually my morning. So like going through the daily ape stuff. And like uh in the afternoons, that's when I usually look look through any pod code updates where where any existing pod codes that I have, if there are any issues, then I, I look to help them out if anything. And then if just keeping up with what's happening there. So I tend to have like calls with them uh probably weekly weekly or monthly basis on like seeing how, how things are going and seeing whether there's anything that they need help with. And then I also spend most of the afternoons as well going through some of the deal flows that we've, we've sourced. So uh, the way that my, my fund works in my brothers is that there's three of us. So like, uh, I'm usually the one doing the deal sourcing, then Daryl is usually the one doing the filtering. So he's usually the one giving, giving his input on the deals with what he thinks of it and stuff like that. And then and Zach, our older brother, is he's the, the one usually providing the portfolio company support. So like I'm, given my role is mostly on deal sourcing, I'm usually the one like just talking about talking to other analysts from other funds uh, or just keeping an eye out from like projects that are popping up on the timeline and so on. And then uh, in 
usually that that's how my afternoons, my evenings are spent. Usually either going through portco support, going through deal flow, and also just going through what I, where I post on the channel on the day, on the daily basis as well. So there's there's it's a lot of reading, a lot of, lot of calls as well. A lot of Telegram messages, of messages sifting uh, through uh, Telegram a lot. Discord, Discord. just trying to filter all, all the all the noise really. So whenever we have people on um, from more of the traditional venture capitalist side, they they like to they like to talk their book a bit and and say that they're unique because they are adding value to their portfolio companies. It's a common talking point. What is it? What does it mean though? What does it mean when you're you know picking up the phone for one of your portfolio companies or or a project you've invested in? And they're asking for your guidance. What what are they exactly asking for? Are they maybe deploying a a new feature and they want to see if 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 you have a pleasant experience with it, or is it something else? Yeah, so I think I I did a chat previously before on like just evaluating VCs based on this on like how to like evaluate based what what they say what kind of value that they provide. So like some some of the ways that I guess they they provide value as that also one. One of course is based on feedback, so like just looking at how they're doing things, so not just like the how the way the UI looks like or how the UX is as well, but also like looking at how like how intuitive the, using the whole platform is. That's that's one thing. I just like providing feedback on how to like make it more easier to use, how to make it more like convenient for someone to go through as well. So that's one of the feedback is probably one of the most important things that a VC does, given that they've seen so many projects already, so like they, they roughly know what the market is used to and so on. Another another area that I would say is more on capital support as well. So like, given that venture capitalists usually have like a big, they usually have like big funds as available as well. So like, if, for example, the the project needs help with bootstrapping, usually funds ha- are happy to do that at at a moment's notice as well. They they can just deploy whatever capital is needed to like bootstrap the protocol, and then also like looking at track record as well. So I guess like, given that some some funds are more active in like certain sectors, so like, usually when a new project is raising and that in that sector that the VCs specialize in, then they usually approach these VCs instead, because like then these VCs have like other other industry experience that can help them out with, which 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 should be helpful for some for a project that's that's starting out and like just trying to break into the space. So I think those those probably some of the areas that I would say. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. In general, like network as well. Like for example, like if if if. Uh, I, I can definitely connect you with other VCs in the in the space, or like I can connect you with other projects that might have synergies with you as well. Given that I have a wide portfolio as well, so I can def- definitely connect them with any other portfolio company that might be synergistic with them. So let's maybe uh, double click on the the sourcing aspect. It sounds like such an ambiguous or hard to define job right it's 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 mostly like you said talking with just it's just talking so it's kind of like uh it's maybe hard to explain the science or alchemy behind sourcing a deal but let's try to do it anyway um you want to get on a cap table Mm -hmm. how do you how do you do it when literally everyone and their mother now is launching a fund yeah, so first of all, you, to easily get on the cap table, like, you, have, you have to be like one of the first people, few people to see it. So like the way that I go about sourcing deals, there's a few sources where I use to like just look at deals. So one of them, like I mentioned earlier, was just talking to other analysts and funds. So I try to build as close a relationship with, as possible with a bunch of analysts. So I have a wide network there and they usually share whatever deals that they're looking at there. Because like most of the time, what we are seeing right now still in the space is that even though everyone is trying to be a fund, like no one's taking the whole round. Usually they're sharing the rounds with other VCs, so they're always looking for value add investors to, to add into the round. Another way that I source for deals is also like going through like Twitter, so like seeing whatever is being talked about on the timeline. So like whatever new project that pops up from there, that's 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 where I usually go through. I have a few bots slash channels set up as well to like just script script Twitter, script meet mirrors, script Discord, and so on, just like see what new projects are out there. It's a lot of noise, but like there's some channels that like help out with like sourcing out what's the hottest projects. For example, like there's this website called hot new crypto so they, they definitely help provide a lot of like value like alpha and like finding new projects as well and then another way is also like from inbound as well so like for example like given that my my telegram channel the daily has grown quite substantially as well so like sometimes projects will also reach out to me and say like, hey we're launching this project can we get some advice or hey uh we think that this announcement could be useful in the channel so like there's a bunch of inbound from there too 
So I think that's a few ways that I, I source new projects as well. So that's how I, I find them early on. And even then, like if if I find a project later on and I want to get in the cap table, usually I try to like just have a chat with them and see whether how I provide feedback based on like how the current cap table looks like or like just provide feedback such advice on like what I think they can improve on or how I can fit into their their round and like just provide my value there, I guess. But it's really just having a call and seeing how how we can click and like how we can connect with each other as well. Part of it, you've you've figured out a way to automate. <laughs> Content plays a really important role, I think. And you are kind of coming from that angle through the Daily Ape. So many venture capitalists are now trying to figure out how they can stand up a content operation. Um, I think like Paradigm was trying to hire a managing editor. I know that a lot of a lot of investors in the space are trying to figure out ways to like engage with community because community and crypto is so important. Yep. And being in the in the thick of the memory is almost this unquantifiable value add to an extent. Yeah, so I think definitely like there's a lot more, there's a lot of funds out there that are trying to do like media arms, like trying to have like more content out there. For example, like A16Z, they, they have their own media arm of things. They have their own blogs. They have constant blogs about topics that are about web and so on. And like they also have like constant threads on like projects that they re- invested in. Uh, 20 minute VC, they, they started off as a podcast and they, they find it, they became a venture arm as well. So like there's all yeah. these venture arms popping up that all have their own media arms and like all these other new funds are like trying to compete with these people because like at the end of the day, usually projects when they want to find a VCs, they also want help with the marketing side of things. So like having, I guess for me, like having the, the daily ape as well as like my Twitter where like I, I, I shit post a lot, but I also like try to cover what else relevant. Like that's helpful in the way that it, it does help get projects exposure there too. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I, I'm sure like, there's an element of connection that you might have with a founder who finds you amusing in addition to a smart operator in the space. Um, okay. So sourcing, being out there in the community, creating a presence through content. Now let's try to figure out how do you, how do you sift through which deals are going to be ones that you want to put capital into. What what do you look for in a project that gives you the confidence to invest in it? Well, so for this few areas for that as well, uh, most importantly, one is like, so given that we've already invested in quite a few projects already, so like we try not to have any conflicting or like projects that are competitors in any way, because like then if we do invest in competitors, then there's the Chinese wall effect as well. Where we can't be as close or supportive as to the podcast as we want to, so, like we try to avoid that. Uh, secondly, we also look at, try and look for founders that are trying building things that we want to use. For example, like if if it's a, I, I'm usually more attracted to DeFi projects because like, I I find more use cases for that. NFTs I feel like right now are still being explored. The the, the full utilities of NFTs are still being explored, so I'm just seeing how people come up with designs for that. But like, I'm not investing too heavily into that. We are also seeing, like, for example, like how aware of this, how aware of the market the founder is. So, for example, like, is he aware of the competitors out there? Is he aware of how the space currently looks like? Is he aware of like what what are the competitors in the space doing that they can probably incorporate or like what they can possibly be better in? For example, and I like, just seeing the, the vibes of so with the team as well, like I mentioned, like just seeing whether is this a person that I would be happy to like answer a phone call at one a.m. or like even go out for a drink at one a.m. just with this person, like just. See whether I'll be happy because being a venture capitalist in the space, like you, you're in it for the long term as well. So like even one year, five years, ten years down the line, like I want to be able to have a good conversation with this person. Like I want to be able to like just be there for the person as well. That's some of the things that I look into, and also like just seeing whether, seeing how uh, what how the project fits in the in the scheme of things as well. So like seeing whether there is a demand for this product in in the space out there, and and like if if there is a demand seeing how the market has been receiving, how, how the market would be receptive of this demand as well. And just seeing how, like, uh, how it would fit among with everything else. Like, is it something that's short term? Like, is it something that's going to take a few years to play out? Or is it going to be something that ha- will have immediate market fit? So like, that's just some of the areas that I look at. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
I think you've been relatively heavy in Solana stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I guess I've been involved in Solana projects since the first hackathon days. So like back when, uh, yeah, so back when uh, Solana first did the hackathon, I, I, talk, I reached out to a bunch of the winners from there. So like, for example, Mango, Options, Orca, didn't invest in them didn't invest in them, but just uh, just catching up with them, just seeing how they were thinking of building on Solana. Because like back then, people were frowning upon those building on Solana. They they were all still very if maxis back then. So like people weren't really exploring the multi chain. But I wanted to see why uh why would someone choose to build on Solana when back then there was almost zero infrastructure back then. So as a result, I did get involved in quite a few projects early on. So from there, uh, so from there, just been keeping a close eye on them. I I was a judge recently for the Serum Convergence wormhole hackathon so like that that's one of the thing and i've also been quite close to the team as well so i just was, was helping them out previously after i left Spartan for a bit and then just been closely involved with them since yeah and so you know obviously there's been a lot of issues recently with solana prices down for everything bad yeah. price we check outside still <laughs> bad price waiting for the devs to do something um what were your expect like were your expectations when you bought in? It sounds like sub dollar. That's sub sub dollar. Yeah, very early on, so like around that area as well. So yeah, sub one, sub three dollars. Sub sub. Was it before the infamous Sam tweet? Yeah, before the uh, uh, Sam tweet. I think that's like kind of the BC uh, AD of Solana. <laughs> yeah, exactly. before Sam tweet, so uh, BST and <laughs> P. <laughs> PST. Um, so did you expect the growth within the ecosystem to take hold in the way it did? I mean, to go from a dollar, sub a dollar, to up to 300, and now somewhere we're around, I think, 100. But what were your expectations for Solana in the short term? I didn't, honestly didn't expect it to grow that quickly, but I feel like that's, there are a few factors that help its growth like tremendously so like for example like before the the mega unlock of like the tokens like the the market i think alameda was scooping up everything otc so i i had that color from there like alameda cms they were all scooping up majority of the tokens otc and then i also had the color that when when the hackathon came out then i i realized that like people like multi-coin was always championing about how if fees are too expensive and like people need cheaper fees to be able to use DeFi. so I, I, that's something that i agreed with because like i, I couldn't explain to someone why they had to pay $100 to do a transaction when they can just do it for a few cents on Solana. But like when I was looking at projects from that, that stage, when, when there's almost no infrastructure, there's no, there's no DAOs even, uh, it was very early on. So I, I didn't expect such rapid growth, but like, I think that the team at Solana has been very, very proactive in a way that they've been, uh, sup they've been developing as much resources as possible. So like, for example, they have this, uh, developer resources, developer Academy where they teach like, they give like a bunch of resources to like onboard developers as much as possible. And then they also have like hack houses as well throughout the, throughout the world. The, I think they've done a few. So I think re right now they're having one in Singapore. They previously had one in LA, I think. And then they, they, they're basically having hacker houses all over the world. So they're just getting as much traction, as, as much marketing as possible. And like they were, I think when Daryl was in New York back in June last year, like he mentioned that uh, a lot of the Web2 guys that he met, a lot of VCs that he met there, they were all talking about how they were in Solana. So I think that that's also another effect, given that they raised around, like they raised like what? Some some pie related number. They raised a super high round. Yeah, it was 314 million, I think. Um, yeah. So the way you're describing this is really interesting uh, because it's making me think of a conversation I had yesterday with mm -hmm. a, he's not a VC, but he's kind well, I don't want to like, <laughs> he is a market participant. I don't mm -hmm. want to give too much away from about him because he's, he's fairly behind the scenes, but he was talking about how a lot of what he does when he's working with a client is kind of like this gut checking with other market participants. So it's less about almost looking at the, you're not looking at the code, right? You're not reading the original um, white paper. Maybe you are, or maybe you get one of your brothers to do it because you can't be bothered, but <laughs> you get, yeah. Uh, well, how do I really know uh, you're Darren, right? <laughs> um, so 
you're not necessarily doing that work. It sounds, or and maybe you ultimately do it, but it sounds like it starts with, okay, is Sam doing it maybe? Or is uh, this VC that I'm close to involved? Do I know people involved? And it's like, just, it's just, again, like going back and forth. He, he referred to his own um, process of due diligence as uh, <laughs> his consensus mechanism are the people in his network. Is it, is, does it chalk up to, to that mostly? Yeah. So I think definitely because like, given that I started off as retail as well, so like I, I want to see what, how the bigger partic- market participants doing. So for example, like what are the VCs, the tier one VCs in the space doing? What are the market makers in the space doing? Like, are, is there a, a primary buyer besides me? Basically something that I want to know. And then like, if, if there is someone that's buying besides me out there, uh, I want to see what, if possible, what's the price prices that they are getting in at. So like if I know that these people are interested in and they, they are basically my buy support, then I, I feel more confident in like going in as well because like if if all else fails, that means that these guys will have the, the firepower to like pull me up to support again. And that's that's one way I look at it as, as well. Like given that I, I filter through a lot of news every day, like I generally try, try and spot trends early on as well, seeing what people are getting excited about, seeing what people are talking about frequently as well. So I just... From there, like I do manage to identify some some projects, some trends, for example, and then like I I would say that that does help with like making getting some conviction. But also at the end of the day, like it's also based on research that I do after that, like just to follow up, seeing whether is is it just hype or is it really there's substance there underneath it underneath the the hype. When you look at the landscape now, right? There's a lot of anxiety. I can't mm. even say it about. I don't, I, you know, it's interesting because crypto just has so much energy, but there's still like, it can get so easily taken aback by whatever macro forces are out there. So we're, I think we dip below 30 or 40 today price again, not good price. Um, but Basically, there's a lot of anxiety in the market. We see it in the liquid price of tokens. Bitcoin's below 40,000. Are we starting to see some of that pressure seep into the venture market? I've, I've heard of one big VC step out of a few deals. I know you're going to be, the, there's always going to be the bidder. There's always going to be Darren trying to bid, but... <laughs> Are you seeing um, some some folks get more conservative? So previously, like a month or so ago, like the metaverse gaming projects, they were probably one of the hottest things out there, hottest deals out there for primary deals. I, I've and I've talked to a few projects recently, like just this week, uh, and they were telling me how like even though these these VCs were like committing to the round like a month ago, two two months ago, but suddenly they're pulling out right now because of the mar- how market looks like right now. So like I've definitely seen a lot more VCs pull out of deals. And not just pull out deals, but they're also very, they're also being much more selective compared to previously. So like back then, you could feel like a lot of VCs were just spraying and praying. So like there's a few projects that were just like doing, there are a few VCs that are doing a lot of like gaming, a lot of guild projects out there, like just investing in whatever they could find. And I feel like that's become more selective right now. People are getting more sensitive to valuations because like you can see like there's an obvious convergence between public markets and like sec- and secondary market, uh, private and public market valuations. Like for example, like it's getting rarer to see like games raised at like 50 million to 100 million valuations but like we're definitely seeing that lower thankfully but like at the same time like these games that are being raised like they still take like two three years maybe to like properly develop so we're seeing how that goes about because at the end of the day like i've seen also a lot more appetite for studios rather than just games so like then i see funds acquiring game studios rather than just just games as a standalone and I think they're they're definitely thinking, being more selective of what they're investing in. I would say, and like just being very sensitive of valuations. Like if they think it's too high, then they just pass, or like they'll they'll negotiate with the the founders like lower it and so on. Having trouble keeping pace with the crypto boom? When your business is scaling up and your portfolio is growing, you don't want to waste precious time on manual treasury management or settling in rebalancing. Fireblocks can handle that for you with smart, scalable solutions for your crypto business, along with industry-leading security and expertise. They'll take care of the back end so you can focus on the big picture 
Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and Prime services to manage all their crypto assets in one place. Coinbase Prime fully integrates crypto trading and custody on a single platform and gives clients the best all-in pricing in their network using their proprietary smart order router and algorithmic execution. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have already used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Build a unified investment portfolio with one of the most trusted names in crypto. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. Are you eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis is here to help. Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Gain unparalleled visibility and maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com now. So is the age or the the brief era of of spray and pray over? Well, not <laughs> over forever, but it's it's slowing down at least. I'm seeing I, I definitely think it's slowing down. Like even when I'm talking to like friends that are not VCs, but like just like re- retail friends that they're also saying that they are being more conservative with investments as well. And like if you look at the new launches on secondary market, like they aren't doing the best as well. Like I think at most some of them do like a two X or something like that. Then they just, just slowly slow death all the way, slow bleed all the way. I think like that's being people are, are being more conservative with their with their capital. I would say they're not just blindly aping into the thing that just because an influencer says it's a good coin, then they 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 blindly ape into it. It's, I think it's being much more careful right now. It's like the age of spray and pray. For now at least, I think it's it's on a break. I would say it's not an up only market, but more really just people being more careful with their capital because I feel like the past year, past one and two, one and a half years, maybe like it has been the, probably the best time to make for someone to make money. So now they're just trying to conserve the money that they made because market conditions, macro conditions, they, they aren't the best right now. So it's not, it's not easy mode. So it's just people just trying to survive. Yeah, definitely. Definitely just trying to survive out there in those mean, mean crypto streets. So maybe, um, we can walk through this phenomenon you're noticing in the gaming world. When you say people are focusing less on games themselves and more about studios, what are we talking about here? So I'm seeing some team, some funds as well. Like they're just basically like acquiring old traditional game studios, and then like they're, they're incorporating incorporating Web three slash crypto gaming elements to it. So like seeing whether they can incorporate like tokens or whether they can incorporate like NFTs and like just take a like a web, uh, more web three twist on on things because like these gaming studios that currently exist right now like most of them have like super experienced game developers that they've done this for so many years but like they've never really had the crypto side of the crypto knowledge of things so like these these funds are like basically converting them to like crypto games and like that's what I'm seeing a lot more attention on a lot more appetite on as well because like these guys will have more experience compared to like some of the new some of the games out there that are completely crypto native guys but like they have zero game development experience so like these these projects are much these these projects probably won't don't they don't have the experience so like they need to get the experienced guys to come in so like the funds are probably the funds are probably looking more into like experienced guys like who can actually deliver rather than just post cinematic trailers all the time but like actually produce good gameplay videos instead <laughs> Less marketing and hype, more Less actual. marketing and hype, more, more content, really. Yeah, more realness. <laughs> I was talking to this project, one of my podcasts, like they were saying like how, you know, so previously this guy, he used to work in a crypto firm and then like whenever at the crypto fund, like people, the, the management team would always set like targets on like roadmaps to, of things to achieve and like the crypto guys would just be very, very chill about it. But like when he started a gaming company instead and like, he hired all these traditional gaming projects, like all these traditional gaming devs, like, even when he set a roadmap, they're all very strict. They're all very systemized and structured, structured to it. So they're seeing a lot more. They, they were very gung-ho about 
fulfilling all the objectives like compared to like crypto side i was seeing a lot more experienced people come into the space so i, I think that's definitely a good boost to the ecosystem and just seeing how it's it's much more competitive now like when i'm talking to my friends that are trying to break into the space i, I say it's way more competitive because like all these ivy leagues all these investment bankers they're all trying to break in right now so it's, it's way more competitive it's pretty wild um i mean it's probably an interesting time for your old friends at spartan group um yeah. i heard that city is hiring 200 or 100 plus digital asset investment bankers so it's weird right because there's so much um I don't, I don't know. I, I kind of thought of the market as there's still like that floor of institutional interest just in paradigm and, and a 16 alone, but you are seeing, you are seeing some pullback here on the private side. So maybe if, if you were to outline your view, where do you sit? Do you see it as more bearish or more bullish? Where, where do you sit and, and what do you think are the bullish elements in the market and, and bearish ones? Obviously, macro is the bearish one. And maybe we got a, a bit ahead of our skis, but how do you think about that? I think right now, like macro-wise, like it's generally bearish all over. Like People are being scared of like this ongoing possible war with Russia. But like at the same time, like I think it's bad for the projects that are just cash grabby in nature. Like These guys that have like no experience just trying to just trying to raise for crypto projects and like you, you can definitely feel like when a founder is just looking to do to do a cash grab and that's being a profit maxi rather than doing something that's a public good that's beneficial to the overall community so like, i'm seeing a less lesser cash grabby projects which is a good thing it's just long-term bullish for the space and then I'm, I'm seeing more found quality founders that are like that were waiting for the hype to suck to die down a bit to like get into the space and like just properly built things that are going to last generations. So I'm, I'm seeing a lot more quality, a lot more uh, complex projects as well. So like we started off with just regular structured products and now I'm seeing more exotic structured products come out, more more exotic derivatives, more exotic projects in general, I would say. So it's we're definitely seeing a growth in like the more complex side of things and like just seeing more quality in the founders, more quality in like the, the, the idea behind things, I guess. So like, I feel like it's long term. It's bullish because, like, when when prices are go, going down, but like development is still going on, that's that's generally a good sign because like you want people that are, are there not for the money, but like more for like the development side of things. That's really interesting. So it, it's kind of different from if, if there is a bear market, right? Um, it'll it'll be a a different transition. Like the projects existing right now are so much more real than the ones that existed in that transition phase from 2018 or 2017 to 2018. Why do you think that is? Do they have users this time? Like, is it, is there better product market fit? So back then, 2018, 2017, 2018, like back then, every time ICOs happen as well, like ICOs were always being, always being done in ETH. So like people, teams would just sell that if to like get the capital to like bootstrap that pro project and like back then DeFi wasn't really a thing so there wasn't really much of a use case it was really just speculation like i was seeing so many pitches for like decentralized airbnbs decentralized ubers and so on like that's not really the, those didn't really take off and like but right now we're seeing a lot more use cases like people are using more for like DeFi. people are using more for nft so like a lot more use cases for that like even games a lot more infrastructure a lot more tooling is being built uh DAOs especially like seeing a ton of DAO tooling projects pop up and like there's a lot more there's a lot more eyes on it as well so like there's always going to be tools there's always going to be projects that can help build out there's always going to be projects that are going to have utility I would say and like these are the ones that are, are really are really uh standing out right now like at the end of the day like if I want to invest in a project I want to be able to use the project I want to be a user of the project first and foremost if I'm not going to use it I'm not going to invest in it that's that's generally the way that I think about it as well. Yeah, and I, I bet there wasn't a lot of that back in twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen, like you could use it. What about it? What, what am I going to use this for? Like most of the time, like there was no project, there's no product out there. It's really just roadmaps, really just empty promises. Like it took Cardano until now to like finally release the DAP, for example, and like uh, 
yeah, there's just a lot, a lot of empty promises back in 2018, which is different now. Like devs can ship out things like in a week. Like Anon devs are like shipping out stuff in like a week, like already going live compared to like back in 2018 where they take like a year to like send out a roadmap update. So let's maybe think about DAOs. I think this is one question I'm ha- I have about DAOs mm-hmm. because we're going to have DAO month next month. We're going to bring on a bunch of DAOs. I'm, I'm a bit disappointed that we didn't figure out to do this in December because then it could have been dao December. <laughs> but better late than never. Question is, why did it become almost reinvented, right? What about DAOs today are different from the way they've always been? And how did it all of a sudden become some sort of buzzword? Is it because instead of like building some pedantic blockchain project, we're now buying constitutions or trying to? And so now it's this new thing, right? We can try to buy the constitution or try to buy Mars. I want to blame A16Z for bringing it up. But like, <laughs> I guess like... Well, I think we can blame A16Z for most most things. <laughs> I guess you can say how like the, the narrative shift from like just calling crypto crypto to becoming more Web3, that kind of approach also like brought in more normies as well. So like back then, I would say in the early days, DAOs were more really just investment focused DAOs. Like for example, like MetaCartel, they were, they were looking to like investing in new projects, providing grants on new projects. And like, that's not really something that a lot of people are interested in. That's like, a lot of people aren't really interested in the investing side of things. So like, as this Web3 narrative grew, like a lot more inclusive, inclusivity DAOs came out. Like yeah. for example, like DAOs with culture, like friends with benefits, for example, a uh, pleaser DAO, which is collect- collecting art- artwork that are like monumental as well as just like in general, like developer DAO as well. Like, just DAOs where people can hang out and like feel included in things, like just having a community of people to hang out with online has been much more uh much more rampant now, especially since COVID as well. Like people just want a place to like hang out with their friends. And like having a DAO, it seems to be like the, the cool way to do it right now. So that's one that's that's my my take on things on why like DAO suddenly blew up this this round. Like not just having having much more u- use cases, much more market compared to just investments and also like just being more inclusive as well. I think another word, another word we can use is is relatable. Yeah. So like for example, like NFT space brought in a lot more attention, but like after NFTs, like people are thinking, okay, I'm, I'm collecting NFTs. Can I do it with my friends? So okay, let's make an let's make an NFT collecting DAO with my friends, and then they all just like hang out in that that DAO as well. So like, we're seeing a lot more, way more normie attention on like NFT stuff on DAO stuff. I think we need two different like we need two different categories or we need to come up with two distinct verbiage to describe the, the normie DAOs from what just is a DAO, because I think they're, they're kind of getting um, a bit bunched together. <laughs> yeah. We're seeing a lot of like, like every, whatever that is in crypto is like a DAO right now. Like there's, you're seeing governance tokens, like, they are, they are considered a DAO. You're seeing like these social groups they are also considered a DAO. There's all kinds of like, everyone, everyone is just slapping on the word DAO on their group. So it's, it's very hard to like differentiate, very hard to like come up with a word for it, I guess. But are they? Are they? What makes, what like, are there, is there some purity test that we can invoke to test a, DAO, a DAO's DAO-ness? A DAO's DAO-ness. I guess one way is like seeing whether if if one if their chief operator, for example, goes down, like if he goes to jail or whatever, what happens to the group? <laughs> like that's that's one that's it's a bit dark, but like that's that's one way to think about it. Like, will, what if he gets eaten by a shark? Will the DAO survive? Yeah, exactly. Like, will will this? That's will, kind of a gruesome way of looking at it. Will one person going getting disappearing change the thing? Change the nature of a DAO, and that's something that's I think really. It's important as well. Like you want, you don't want to be reliant on one person. Yeah, that's just one. That's one way I think about it as well. I think that's no. I think it's a good way of of thinking about it. Um, Okay, so if someone disappears um, and the DAO lives on, um, but that's a hard thing to measure. You can't, like, even still. I think that's well said, and I think a lot of people would agree with you. But how do you? How do you? 
I don't know. This might be getting too far down the the uh, Dow bit hole. Um, <laughs> but how, you can't really measure that. You can't look at a project and and at least originally and suss out in a mechanical way the extent to which someone matters. Mm-hmm. But and and you know, but then I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. All of these simp DAOs, like that, is inherently tied to the person. So yep. are they? Those can't really are, are those really DAOs? Maybe they are. If I if I created Frank Dow, okay, and I disappeared, then there you go. That's that's that would, would be the end of. It. Though, like for example, like all these celebrities that passed away, like people are still fans of the celebrities even if they passed away. Like so, like if let's say for example, like there's a Frank Dow and something happens to you, Giga you, Brain. That's a that's 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 Giga Brain. Still, like, fans of you would still be supportive. Like they might even be more more. There might be even be more fans after it you. It might disappear. it might be even bigger if I disappear. For example, yeah, that's a fantastic point. That's brilliant. Um, okay, so let's let's think about um. Maybe we can leak some alpha and 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 think about maybe where you see over uh, or under index value out there in the market. What are people maybe not paying attention to that you're super keen about? I'm seeing, I mean, I've always been a fan of DeFi projects because like we're seeing right now, for example, in Canada, like the banks are saying that they can seize assets, they can freeze assets. So like the narrative of being your own bank is really becoming more rampant. And like right now, like back then, there wasn't much infrastructure. There wasn't much composability between DeFi applications. So like that's this is an area that I've always been massively bullish on because like I come from Malaysia, which is like a third world country. So like there's not always the best. There's not there's very limited things that I can do with capital here. But like with DeFi, I can I'm able to do anything that I want. And like that's something that a lot more people will have access to. That's some that's an area that I've I've always been paying close attention to as well. And then another thing is that earning yields as well. Like we're seeing inflations creep up almost almost every once in a while and like i think people are always trying to find the best ways to like save money to like beat inflation or like just try to make more money more more than what inflation is causing us so like seeing more use cases for yields yield farming not just yield farming but earning yields so for example like seeing more structured products seeing more option vaults seeing more uh farms farming dollars and like just that that's one area and it's also like Another area that I'm looking at is the utilities in NFTs. So like for example, like seeing more seeing projects that unlock liquidity of NFTs, seeing more projects that can price NFTs better as well, like allowing someone to use NFTs as collateral, that's an area that I've, I've interest, I'm interested in because, in because like my belief is that the wealth in crypto will always stay in crypto. It's not gonna go back out to like fiat, it's not gonna go out to like people like I, I, I a lot more of my friends would rather buy a house in the metaverse than buy a house in real life. And that's just the that's just the mindset that a lot of them have. So I think that have allowing someone to like use properly use this NFTs that they have as collateral is is going to be something that's game changing. And then that's another area that I'm looking at also is gaming as well. Like like I mentioned this in another podcast, but like I think the the best games in the future are being still being ideated, still being built right now. It's not it's not already raised and going. It's nice. early days. Yeah, it's still very early days for gaming. Uh, we're seeing. Like the games right now that exist, they aren't the best games. They aren't the most fun games. So I want to see something that really brings in a lot of people, and that that is cost efficient as well. Like getting into Axie back in the peak was like six hundred to like maybe one thousand dollars to like get to make a team, and like I don't think that's that's accessible for not for people to like to, for retail to come in. Like if I want to play a game on Steam, the maximum that I have to pay is like what maybe less than less than hundred dollars. So like it doesn't make sense for me to like pay this crypto game for like one few thousand dollars. So that's something that I think is, is important and that's going to bring in more, more people into the space as well. That's interesting. Um, so you mentioned in your delineation of what you're maybe excited for farming DAOs. Yeah. So let's like, walk through the listener. What, what that is. They already have, have gotten already had to get caught up to speed on what yield farming is. Some of the TradFi boomer listeners, now they have to walk, they have to wrap their mind around farming DAO. <laughs> so the way that I think about it is more like just looking at like uh, 
DAOs that like provide farming as a service. So for example, like you're putting capital into this DAO and then this DAO will decide how they want to manage capital, like efficiently earn yield, earn yield on the deposits. So like you're kind of like a yield asset manager, for example, like Yen, uh, it's really just depositing capital into 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 the strategy and then the strategy will earn yields for you. So that that's my my take on that. So like I'm seeing a lot more projects being raised to like make DeFi simple, where for example, like if you are a company and you have a treasury, you can just deposit into this into this protocols instead and earn better yields than what your banks are giving you. So that's something that I think will get a lot more attention in because like the infrastructure, the composability is all being built already. Like this it's much more convenient now compared to like back when back a year ago, three years ago. Joe Weisenthal at Bloomberg brings this up a lot when he yeah. thinks about DeFi and I think specifically yield farming. There's nothing, you know, in traditional capital markets, you do a, a you raise debt to go build a factory if you're some sort of shoe manufacturer. And so you get a yield um, as the person um, facilitating or rather contributing to that debt raise, right? You get a payout and it's going to something constructive. When you look at crypto, there's nothing tangible there that's kind of behind this, you know, gy gyrating um, force of capital movement. Um, so to kind of lay that foundation, what, what, is there anything productive that is yields yielded from or sort of derives from these yield generating farms? Like what, what is it creating? Right. Hmm. Is Wait, the answer nothing? Let me think how to, how to answer that. I guess there's always going to be another buyer. There's always a buyer of the, these tokens out there. So as long as automated market makers have made it easier for, to have this buy support as well, like, there's always going to be a buyer in Uniswap, for example, when you want to sell something. So like, there's always that's that's there's that about buyers buyers in the space, I guess, for yield tokens. Like the way yield farming works is really a product is a project is giving out their tokens to incentivize users to come bought, and like through through giving out their tokens, you they as a result they'll get more eyes on the protocol, and another is just more marketing in general because like people will be talking about how they are, they are farming yields on this project, for example, and like people will take take a look at it because people use the protocol because of that as well and like so that it's kind of like a growth growth hack in a way like giving out tokens compared to like just having no tokens comparatively you definitely don't want to have no tokens <laughs> i think everything that can have a token will have a token eventually just how the space is going along because that regulations aren't the most friendly to projects mm. out there so like decentralizing your your project away Oh, it's always one way to like, avoid regulation in some sense. Okay, sir. <laughs> yeah, I'm still thinking how to answer, how to best answer that, that question, but yeah. Difficult question. Any closing thoughts? I mean, this was really fun. Um, I'm, I've been waiting to do this for ages. Um, hopefully it'll come out, it'll come out relatively soon. Darren, any, any closing thoughts? to leave the listener with, to get them thinking um, as they may be, well, I don't know if it'll come out on a, on a Friday before the weekend, but to just get them thinking in general. I guess in general, like one thing that I've always asked friends that are looking to get into space is that one is that what is their end goal? Like, why are you, why do you want to get into crypto? Is it because you want to, so I've always felt like there's two groups of people in crypto. Uh, one is the group that just wants to make money and just wants to make it. Another group is people that want to be a part of something, want to leave an impact or something. So you're seeing people that are flipping shit coins, people that are just trying to make two X's, trying to make 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 get a make a stack, and like retire. That's one one big goal of people. Another is just the people that are building out tools, building out infrastructures, building out culture inclusivity into the space as well to for it to be more long term oriented. So that's another group of people out there. So like, which group? I, are you a part of like, and like and it's, there's nothing wrong with just wanting wanting to make a retirement stack but at the end of the day like after you make that retirement stack what are you going to do next because retirement is, isn't the best thing to do like it's not the most fun thing but like so like what do you want to do after that as well so like thinking about why are you getting into crypto thinking about what are you going to do after you make it as well is one thing that I've always asked these people and like seeing whether I can like 
nudge them towards a better towards a good direction is something that I've been trying to do. Another thing is that I see a lot of people like trying to break into the space, but they don't really know how to break into the space. So like really just finding a project that you like, finding a DAO that is interesting are some ways to get involved or even just just shit posting on Twitter, just being a reply guy to some of the bigger accounts there. It's also one way to get involved. Like there's no the best thing about crypto is there's no restrictions. Like you can be a, like a you can be a kid from Africa, you can be a kid from the US. Like no one knows no one cares where you're from. No one cares about your age as long as you're, you're contributing your space, really. Like Paradigm just hired a high school kid. I, <laughs> I think that just goes to show like people care a lot about what you do rather than who you are in the space. I think that's a really salient point. Well, Darren, uh, where can our listeners follow you, learn more about what you're working on? Yeah, so the best way to f- follow me is on Twitter, uh, Darren Lautier on Twitter and then if you want to message me, do do message me on Telegram. Instead, my Twitter DMs are like messed up, crazy messed up. Uh, so Telegram is the same as my Twitter. It's Darren Lautier there as well. And if you want to just read up on what's happening in crypto daily, just feel free to follow my Telegram channel as well. It's called The Daily Egg. So that's those are the three places that I would recommend to like reach out to me. So Twitter, my, my Twitter, my Telegram, and, and The Daily Egg. And The Daily Egg has three things. So it's, it's not just a Telegram channel, but like, I also have like a Notion bot where I, Basically, it's like a database of everything that is in crypto that I've posted so far. So that there's always rabbit holes that you can dive into on that Notion board. And then another one is a, a HR group that I just recently launched. Uh, it's basically a group for two, two types of people. One is projects that are looking to hire and another is people that are looking for roles in the space. So I think the problem with like most job boards previously was that uh, it's really just projects looking to hire. Like there was no way for someone to like showcase their resume, no, no place for someone to showcase their that they're looking for, for a job. So I'm, I'm trying to create that place for someone to like promote themselves in a way. So just just an experiment for now, but seeing how it goes. I, I have helped some friends get jobs through there already. So that, that that's always a good sign since I just launched it like a week ago. That's super cool. Well, congrats on that. And thank you again for being on the show. It was a real pleasure. Hey, appreciate it, Frank. The Scoop will be back with you again with another fantastic guest. Everyone, have an amazing day, and thank you for joining us.